We're back in the Gospel of Luke this morning to close out our time and then we have some great worship as always. Uh, you can turn to Luke chapter 17. Uh, you recall uh, last Sunday, uh, Matt challenged us from Luke 17 to have selfless relationships. And there was a lot in there. Um, and I really uh, hope that we're, we're, we're paying attention to what is being preached. Uh, not just that we take notes, which maybe is a lost practice to some degree. Some of us still do that, and I think that's great. Uh, but that, that we really take to heart the lessons that are brought out. These are the words of Christ. These are, these are the words of life when we open up the Bible. And so I hope as a church we work on our relationships this week as a result of what we learned uh, from Luke 17, verses 1 through 19. Uh, and we're going to move on here uh, to verse 20 this morning and round out this chapter as we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke. So Luke 17, verse 20, uh, we'll pick up uh, the Gospel according to Luke here. Luke 17, verse 20, once, Luke goes on, I'm being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor, verse 21, will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming. When you will see, you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. Verse 24, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day... Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Verse 31, on that day no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night two people will be in one bed, one will be taken and the other left, two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken, and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. So this is a pretty uh, intense little section uh, of Luke's gospel. Uh, Jesus talks about, uh, you know, really his second, his second coming, his return, uh, and kind of the completion uh, of what God had started long, long ago in the Garden of Eden with humanity and the earth. And so it brings up a lot of different questions, uh, things that were going on. Jesus is, is heading back to Jerusalem for the final time. The opposition toward him is ever increasing as it does. Um, and the Pharisees, who are one of his main critics, uh, they bring this question to Jesus, right? You know, and, and they ask him, you know, it says uh, in verse 20, when the kingdom of God would come, they, they wanted to know the timing, uh, you know, because the Jews all believed in Jesus' day that, that the kingdom of God would return. This theocracy that Israel once was, that is now being ruled by the Romans at this time, this would return just like in the days of King David. And so the, the, the major Jewish theology at that time was that, was that the Messiah would come, but the Messiah would be just like King David. He would kick out the Romans, he would be, bring Israel back to its prominent place. Uh, you know, one nation under God, if you will, right? And so that's what the Pharisees were looking for. Jesus, of course, in the end, he doesn't bring that kind of kingdom. Um, and then that's kind of the issue that they come to him on with this question, probably more antagonistically than sincerely, 
uh, with their question. And Jesus, he spoke uh, about the kingdom of God quite a bit. Um, uh, in, uh, in Mark chapter 1, uh, the first thing that Jesus says, right? In, in verse 15, the time has come. This is the first thing Mark records. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is now near as he starts his ministry. Uh, later on in Luke's gospel, we just read it uh, not too long ago, and, and what's become known today is the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus says we ought to pray for the kingdom to come. And so it, it's something that's supposed to be coming, according to Jesus, something we should be praying for. Uh, and so Jesus seems to say, based on these two statements and others, it is presently coming and building as he's in their midst there, uh, God incarnate. Uh, but again, as I said, it was not uh, in the end what the leaders in Israel at this time believed it would be. Uh, and so uh, the question in verse 20 from the Pharisees is likely antagonistic rather than sincere. And Jesus would explain, uh, Jesus would go on to explain a, a bit more of an accurate picture, actually, it says, uh, after verse 22, not to the Pharisees, but to his disciples. Right? He goes on in verse 22 uh, on to explain. Uh, a little bit more of what of what he was saying. The time is coming, he says, when you will see, you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, referring to this Messianic era. He says, but you will not see it. People will tell you there he is, and here he is. So, so people will fascinate about this idea, and they'll run after that. He says, but don't do that. And he says, but when it comes, it, it, it'll be obvious. It'll be like seeing lightning in the sky. There's no mistaking it, right? When you see lightning in the sky, and Jesus says, there'll be no mistaking. Uh, when that day comes uh, as well. And, and what's interesting is he actually uses this phrase in verse 21 uh, to the Pharisees. Uh, the phrase there, I think it's the last scripture. Yes, the last scripture there on the screen. Um, in verse 21, he, he says, The kingdom of God is in your midst. Uh, the older NIV, this is the new NIV. The older NIV says the kingdom of God is within you. Not in your midst, but within you. Is what the older NIV uh, used. And the Greek phrase there is a bit ambiguous, and that's why they're not sure uh, which one it is. Um, the kingdom of God is within you. Well, yeah, Jesus didn't come to bring a new government, but, but a new people, a, a new revolution of the heart, right? Not of society. Uh, of course, that's how he would change society, is through changing our hearts. And so the kingdom of God being within us is certainly something we can grasp and understand. Uh, in your midst, uh, well, as Jesus says this, He's literally right there, the Messiah, ushered in the kingdom of God. So when he says it's in your midst to those guys, it literally was. It was right in front of them uh, in the incarnation of God, uh, Jesus Christ himself. Uh, and so considering the context within you probably is less likely because Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees who don't actually believe in him. And so in your midst uh, is probably a, a better interpretation uh, of that Greek phrase. Um, and, so, and so then he goes on in, in verse 22 on then to expand on this idea of his second coming, this messianic era, if you will, uh, in verses 22 uh, to 37. Um, and he goes on um, he goes on to describe uh, these days as, as in verses 22 to 37 as days of the Son of Man. Right? He goes on to describe them as days uh, of the Son of Man. And that phrase is used uh, several times. This is a messianic title, the Son of Man. Uh, borrowed from the Old Testament, uh, which Jesus often uses, actually, in the Gospels to refer to himself uh, and what he is doing. And that phrase is found a lot in Daniel, uh, which is apocalyptic and prophetic in many ways, uh, and referring to some of the end times, uh, which we're going to dive into here uh, as we study. Uh, but he goes on here um, in verses 22 to 25 uh, to, to then describe uh, this, this era that, that Jesus' return will usher in. He says, you, he says you, you're wrong to see it, in verse 22, 
but you won't, as he speaks here to uh, his disciples. Uh, and then in verse 25, he says, he says, the visibility will come, but it won't come until after, after he dies, is buried, and is resurrected, uh, in verse 25. Uh, and so we, we know at this point it's futuristic. Uh, we know from what he's saying it, it, it's a final state connected to Jesus' triumph and his return. Uh, but again, we don't know all the details. Um, so from this passage so far, and as we dive into it, and a lot of other passages we're going to look at here in a moment, uh, we can deduce that the kingdom's spiritual presence was and is at hand uh, due to Jesus' first coming, yet its physical presence and completion of that will not come until his return. We can, we can definitely make, make that conclusion from what we have here in, in the Gospels and what we even have in the epistles as far as Jesus' second return. So the spiritual reality of the kingdom is present uh, because of Jesus' work on the cross, and that's exciting as God's people. We are part of his kingdom. Uh, his Holy Spirit resides in us. We're part of the earthly kingdom, which is his church. Amen for that. Whether we're meeting in a, in a school on the third floor or at a school down in Sully Park or somewhere else in the city, uh, the kingdom is alive and real today, right now. Uh, today we get to celebrate that. We get to reap the benefits of being in our King Jesus' kingdom. But the final reality of that and what that means for not just the church but the world and the end of time has not yet been fully revealed. Uh, is what I think you can see even in this passage. Uh, although we will, we will jump into it a little bit here to understand a, a, a bit of the pieces. And Jesus warns us in verse 23. He says, you know, don't go running after this like a spiritual treasure hunter. You know, like, like a theological explorer, which, which over history many men and women have. There's a lot of fascination with Jesus' second coming. There's a lot of fascination with the end times. People get very caught up into that. They get they get spiritually raptured into the rapture, if you will, and, and those kinds of things that Jesus alluded to. But Jesus says very clearly there, he says very clearly, you know, in, in the timing, when will it happen? He says, people will tell you in verse 23, there he is, or here he is. He says, do not go running after them. People will get fixated on these things. Jesus says, well, will ultimately mislead people. But he says, when this day comes, you will know. It's going to be like lightning in the sky. You will know. You will know when that day comes. Um, and so there's been study debate on the timing and nature of Jesus' return ever since Jesus started to speak these words uh, for, for, you know, for, for over two millennium. Um, and today it's known as, as a, a whole study of theology called millennialism. <laughs> Millennial based on this idea of a thousand years, which connects to Revelation 20, uh, where, where John has this vision of a thousand year reign as Christ returns. And so the debate kind of centers around what, what, does, what, what does that mean uh, what will that look like? Um, and so there's kind of four kind of views uh, theologically today. We're not going to dive too far into this. Don't worry. Um, I spent plenty of time studying it, and I'm still not really sure. Um, but, uh, but we'll just kind of touch on the, the, the four main views of Jesus' second and final return uh, based on Revelation 20, because I believe Jesus does allude to it a bit here uh, in Luke 17. He talks about it more in detail in Matthew 24. Uh, as well, for further study, you can certainly uh, go there. Uh, but there's kind of four main views today. Uh, the first on there is premillennial. Uh, it's this idea that Jesus returns, then the reign on his throne of a thousand years occurs, then final judgment, new heaven, new earth, which is the top one there um, in the diagram. Um, uh, kind of linked to that, uh, you can see above uh, uh, the, uh, the, the rapture and the revelation is the, in the words di- dispensational. Uh, this idea that... that that as Jesus returns to reign, uh, the other idea on this idea is that before he, he reigns, he will, he will remove the church, he will rapture the church alive and dead 
somewhere in heaven while he before he has this thousand year reign and this, this thousand year reign will be about restoring the Jews back to God this all goes back to the book of Daniel and the prophecies there and again I don't I don't have the expertise or the time to get into that today so those are kind of the two different premillennial views if you will premillennial and dispensational premillennial uh, the third one is amillennial that Revelation 20 uh, is just really all symbolic it's allegorical there's nothing literal uh, in Revelation 20 uh, and, and so uh, these are just really describing the period between Christ's first appearance, which we're reading about this morning, and then his, his return will be the final appearance, and that's it. So when Jesus returns, none of these things will occur. Let us all occur at once, as opposed to a thousand-year period, which would be the premillennial version of how the things will end here on the earth. Um, and then the other idea uh, is postmillennial, the third one there. Uh, this idea that the church will increase in number until it fulfills the establishment of the kingdom of God fully, on the earth. Uh, and so the thousand years might be more symbolic as opposed to a literal number. Uh, according to that, whenever that time is, is when, is when a, the number of people that should become Christians become Christians. Uh, and, then, and then there's a final conflict of good and evil and final resurrection um, and judgment. So those are kind of the four views. They're all based on interpretation. How do you interpret something like Revelation 20 uh, and the different uh, ideas and numbers and symbolisms uh, that are in there, uh, and it's still being debated uh, to uh, this day. I was reading two different theologians that I respect, and they have opposite views on, on this matter of what will happen when Jesus returns. Uh, the great thing is, all four views agree that Jesus died, buried, and was resurrected in his first coming, and all four views agree that he will return one day to fix all that is wrong and make it right. And to this, the church says, Amen. Everything else between them will just, we'll, we'll let Jesus sort that out. Um, and I don't say that to be lazy. I don't say that to encourage to be biblically ignorant or lazy. And I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't have some kind of conclusion on these matters. But again, that's a slippery slope when we start to get too fixated on what God's going to do in His time, in His way. And so I think we have to be very careful um, of, of, of that idea. And I believe we can know for sure, based on this passage back in Luke 17, four things about Christ's return. Four S's, if you will. Four S's. Uh, the first thing I think what we can we can see very clearly from this analogy of lightning uh, is that Christ's return it will be seen. Everyone's going to know when He returns, Amen. just like everyone knows that He came. There's no there's no denial even in history books that Jesus came to the earth. Uh, whether you believe Him as the Son of God or not is another debate. But He's in Roman writings, He's in Jewish writings, and of course He's in Christian writings. Uh, but the, the, the New Testament is very clear that when he does return, everyone will know. Because it'll be like in verse 24, it's, it's like lightning in the sky. Whether you're looking at lightning or not, you know if it, if it appears in the sky, don't you? It's very obvious. It's very clear. Lightning is fascinating uh, from a, just, a, just a scientific standpoint. A single lightning bolt is about 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And we can't understand that. That's five times hotter than the surface of the sun. Just one lightning bolt. That's how hot it is. The average lightning bolt could light a 100-watt light bulb, the average light bulb in your home, nonstop for about three months. Nonstop. Just one lightning bolt. The average lightning bolt is about six miles long, uh, scientists say. And, 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 and Cape Canaveral uh, Kennedy Space Center in Florida has measured some as long as 75 miles long. 75 miles long. And so it seems fitting. Uh, that Jesus uh, then compares his return to something so visible and so powerful as lightning. It, it, it seems a bit appropriate, doesn't it? Yeah. You will know. It will be clear. Uh, he said in Luke uh, 
I'm sorry, Mark uh, chapter 13, verse 26. At that time, people will see, this is Jesus referring to himself, the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. It will be very visible, it will be very clear whenever Jesus' second coming uh, begins. Uh, after this, this particular clarity, what will happen next? We're not really theologically sure. Uh, there's some possibilities we just went through, right? But we know it'll be clear when it happens. I read this this week. No one will foresee it, because Jesus said he didn't even know the hour in which his return would occur. No one will foresee it, but all will see it. No one will foresee it, but all will see it. So Jesus' return will be seen. It also will be sudden. It also will be sudden, right? The passage here in Luke 17, it refers to you know it being as visible as lightning, but then it, it, it refers to the, the, the swiftness of it, right? Uh, in verses 26 to 29, Jesus says, you know, it'll be it'll be like the you know it'll be like the the times of Noah. People were busy doing this, doing that. You know, Noah was preaching. The flood's coming. The flood's coming. No one listens, and then boom, the flood arrives. And everyone is washed away who did not obey God. It'll be as swift as that, he says. And then he says, or it'll be like Lot, the days of Lot. You know, you know, God tried to warn Lot's people. They didn't listen. As soon as Lot, Lot leaves Sodom and Gomorrah, boom, it's wiped out. And they got up that day thinking it was just going to be a normal day like every other day in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then judgment swiftly came. And yeah, these two examples were times of extreme wickedness. Um, but Jesus is not necessarily referring to the sin. He's referring to the idea that, that people will be indifferent to God. People will think it's not going to happen, and then boom, it's going to happen. And He's going to return. And that could be true as much today as it could be tomorrow, as it could be 20 years from now. We don't, we don't really know. Jesus' return is going to be seen. It's going to be sudden. Uh, the next thing here I think we can see is that it's, it's also going to be sweet. It's also going to be sweet. And this is a particularly uh, a comforting idea of Jesus' return if you are a Christian today. If you're not a Christian today, my fourth and final S will be a little bit maybe more relevant for you to think about. But, but if you're a Christian, it's going to be a sweet, sweet day. And if you're not a Christian today, hopefully this will help you to think about becoming a Christian um, as soon as you can. Because it's going to be a sweet day uh, from a Christian perspective when he returns. Back to the text here uh, in Luke 17, uh, verse 30. Let's just reread this. He says, it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So one of the amazing things about, about the day Jesus returns is that... We will fully see him for who he is. We'll completely and totally understand what it means to believe in him. What it means to know him. What it means for him to be our savior and our Lord. We get excited right now. I mean, let's just be honest. We get excited right now about Jesus saving us. We have a, we have a baptism and we're, we're praising God. You, you, you come out of the waters of baptism and you're thanking God. And you, you take communion now and you're thankful for that forgiveness or you, you walk in today and you have a tough week and you see the church and you're just, you're just so thankful for the presence of Jesus in your life. But we have seen nothing yet. This is all just a hint. This is all just a fragmented version of the reality that is coming for those who are in Christ. It's going to be a sweet, sweet day. And that's what he hints at here. That's what he hints at. He says on that day in verse 31, no one who's on the housetop with possessions inside should go down and get them. If you're, you know, the, the Palestine homes they have this, this this flat roof, and you would you would have, you would sometimes you know uh, be up there for different things and then storing things, and sometimes even living up there a little bit. And if you're on that rooftop and there Jesus appears, Jesus is saying you're not going to be like, oh, maybe I need to you know grab my iPhone or you know, no, no, it's 
There's going to be no need to look back, right? No need to, to, to go back for anything because everything is going to be as it ought to be. Everything will be complete. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. There's going to be no worries on that day. That phrase actually will work finally, completely and fully on that day. We can say no worries, and there will be no worries uh, for God's people. Finally and forever, it's all going to be good. And in verse 33, it says that, that life will be somehow preserved. The, you know, the, the bad back, you know, the, 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 the eyes that don't work unless they have glasses, the, 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 you know, the, all the things that aren't quite working right in life. You know, the, the never-ending taxes, the, the lack of funds in the bank, you know, fill in the blank. It's, it's, it's all going to be good at that point. It's going to be a sweet, sweet day. You know, Paul describes it in his letter to the church in Thessalonica. He says, brothers and sisters, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, referring to those who have already died as Christians, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you, that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus wants to get as close to us as he can at that point. As soon as possible, he wants us to meet him in the air. He doesn't even want to land before we can can be with him. That's how much he wants to be with us as his church. Peter got to walk on water. We're going to get to walk on air. That's amazing if you think about that for a moment. And even if you're afraid of heights, it will not be a scary thing. Because again, it's all good at that point. It's all good. You don't have to worry even about that. That's how awesome it's going to be. That's how awesome it's going to be. But there's an idea of the rapture, this idea that, that God's people come to Him in the air. And it's kind of, it's kind of dreary. It's kind of terrifying. It's kind of... And, and if you Google image the rapture, trust me, it's ominous. I was trying to find a, an encouraging photo. I couldn't find one. You know, the, you know, the paintings and the ideas uh, of what it's going to be like. It, it, it looks terrifying. But to me, it's going to be this picture of union with Jesus. This sweet togetherness. It's going to feel like you haven't seen your family in years. And then you get to go home for Christmas. You know, it's, it's, going to, it's going to feel like that. You know, it's, it's, it's going to feel like you've been waiting for that baby for, for months and months and months. And then that baby is born. You know, it's going to feel like that. It's going to feel like that. But, but, but even more. Again, this is, just, this is just a poor reflection in a mirror. We can't even imagine what it's really going to be like. His return. For those who have Jesus as their king will be sweet. Uh, but we also know for others, by their choice, that they also, the last S here, could be salty. Could be salty. The passage talks about, you know, this the, the, the sweet side of Jesus' return, but also this challenging side of Jesus' return in verses 34 uh, to 37. He says, I tell you, in verse 34, on that night two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, and the other left. The disciples say, where, Lord? He says, where there is a dead body. There the vultures will gather. 
You know, that final light of Jesus, it will be lovely to some and deadly to others. For those left behind, like the pastor here uh, talks about, it's going to be it's going to be a salty day. You know, you think about when you get too much salt in your mouth. You know, the look on your face, the expression. You know, it reminds me of the phrase Jesus uses over and over again on that day. He says it'll be people will have weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, it's just. The, the, the reality of, of your rejection of God and all of His goodness and all that He wants for you and heaven that awaits. The reality of rejecting that will be salty indeed. It's a, it's a bleak picture of, 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 of final death. Vultures and dead bodies. And it's just, it, it's, it's a terrible image. But one that we must, we must realize God wants us to forsake. One we must realize God does not want us to choose, but God lets us choose none. The less. And of course, Jesus came so we would choose the sweet ending, not the salty ending for us all. Uh, and that's a big reason why we come together today. By faith, continue to, to long for his return and share the good news of his return with others. Because we don't want anyone to have a salty day on that day. But the choice is ours. We can choose the sweet, not the salty, as his kingdom comes. The kingdom come is a horrible and terrible day for those who do not know Jesus as their king. And so our job is to stay in his kingdom and to usher in as many as we can uh, into his kingdom until that day is. You know, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting image, you know, you know, the light, you know, whether it's lightning or, or, or just a bright light. You know, we don't really know literally physically what it will look like, but it will be it'll be all inspiring. It'll be overwhelming. Um, and so it's always interesting to look at end times from perspective of, of the reality that we're in right now. Um, and, and if you're like me, a lot of times it's hard to know what to do with it. It, it, it sounds kind of fatalistic. We can start to, to quickly get even a bit negative uh, in our light of God's judgment and the end coming. Um, and so what are we, we, we to make of this? Some things are, are clearly revealed by Jesus. And we looked at some of those in Luke 17. And, and again, if you want to go further into Revelation 20, and maybe one day we'll do that as a church, uh, dive into the doctrine of that. Some things are revealed, but there's there's much more mystery. There's much, much more we cannot really totally understand or comprehend, and I'd be the first uh, to admit that after studying it uh, this week. Um, but C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, he, he says this. He says this about about, about the kingdom coming uh, this 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 end time, and I, and I love this quote. He says, "I do not find that pictures of physical catastrophe, that signs in the clouds, those heavens rolled up like a scroll, help one so much as the naked idea of judgment. We cannot always be excited." We can perhaps train ourselves to ask more and more how often uh, the thing which we are saying or doing or failing to do at each moment will look when the irresistible light streams in upon it. That light which is so different from the light of this world. And yet even now we know just enough of it to take it into account. And he gives this analogy. Women sometimes have the problem of trying to judge by artificial light how a dress will look by daylight. That is very like the problem of all of us. To dress our souls not for the electric lights of the present world, but for the daylight of the next. The good dress is the one that will face that light. For that light will last longer. And so, in light of these uh, hard to comprehend and surpassing revelations uh, that Jesus gives us a little window into here this morning from Luke 17, uh, may we learn from his words... To prepare our souls for the sweet light of his imminent return. Because if Jesus is our king on that day, it's going to be a sweet, sweet day. And he wants it to be a sweet day for you and for me. May his kingdom come more and more in our hearts. 
That is going to be the challenge, right? May we speed His coming, not just in what we study and what we believe, but in what we do. And what we do day in and day out.